What's going on, good people? It's your boy Jay Sutton. I'm back. Episode two, destroying doubt. Gonna go ahead and get right into it. This episode, I will be talking about something that has been very prevalent in my life lately. This process that I've been going through is is this process that I've been going through is partly what inspired this podcast and to take different routes that I'm taking. And that is me going through this process of filing for a conscientious objector in the United States Air Force. For those who don't know what conscientious objector is, I've been having to explain this so much <laughs> these these past few months, but I'll go ahead and explain it again for those who don't know. A conscientious objector is basically refusal on moral or religious grounds to bear arms in military conflict or to serve in the armed forces. That is what I have been going through. And throughout the process, well, let me take you back before even coming, coming forward to make it known that I was a conscientious objector. I dealt with a lot of doubt. A lot of internal conflict, a lot of a lot of depression, a lot of so many negative things in route to admitting that I didn't want to serve in the military on conscious and moral and spiritual grounds. It was it was really rough going through the the process of coming forth with this information to my chain of command after coming forward with this information it got it got even tougher so i've been going through this process but i just wanted to to share a little bit of the story i can't reveal too much because i'm still going through the process and i don't want to you know damage the case in any way or jeopardize the case in any way. And I'm also writing a book about this. So I, I I do want to save a good bit of this information for the book, but I'll just say that, you know, to keep it short and simple, I went through basic training in September, 2014. And prior to, prior to joining the military, I wasn't the biggest, let me see how I can word this. I didn't have the most knowledge of the military. I wasn't dumb to it. I wasn't blind to it. But it was nothing that I really cared about. And it was just, you know, an afterthought. I I just, I view military members as, you know, these people that people that others held in high regard so that's how i felt about it prior to joining what led me to join was working a warehouse job a decent job my wife had a decent job i remember vividly one day us going to going for a house we were going looking at houses and we found one that we really loved and i can't remember the exact amount of the house 
it was in the two hundred thousands. Beautiful home in North Carolina. And, you know, so we went to the bank to try to get a loan for the home and we were denied. We were approved, but denied at the same time. We were de denied for the amount that we wanted and we were approved for a way lesser amount. So the house that we wanted, we wouldn't have been able to get. We would have had to settle for a much smaller home. And the reason for us being denied for the amount that we applied for was debt to income ratio like we had good income we could afford the mortgage for the for the home that we were that we were going for but my wife had accumulated so much college debt she had finished her bachelor's degree and she was over 100 grand in college debt so they're looking at that like Y'all are going to have to pay this. You already have a lot of debt. So I don't know if we want to give you quite 300000 when you're already a hundred grand in the hole. <laughs> so, but I remember that day, like, I'm, I'm, I have the type of personality where, you know, I'm a go-getter. And that really really bothered me not being able to put my my family in the house that I wanted to put them in due to this issue and I said I have to resolve this issue now if I take you back even more at the time when you know while we were going through this process of trying to get this home or whatever my wife had already finished college and she had her debt I was in school also and I was accumulating debt as well so I said that this isn't going to work. How are we ever going to to get ahead? Like we both have decent jobs. I'm moving up. She's moving up. Yeah, we're going to we're going to make good money, but we have this massive amount of debt and it's only going to get bigger if I continue to go to school. Maybe I should stop. Maybe I should stop going to school. But I was like, no, I have I can't do that because I don't want to work in this warehouse. I don't care, you know, what how high I reach at this job, this is not what I want to do. I want to do something that I'm passionate about. And, you know, the, the avenue, the avenue for me to do something that I'm passionate about, I, I needed to go to school for it. So, you know, th this was really weighing on me at the time, you know, I'm going through school, I'm knocking it out, I'm doing great. I'm on my I'm on a pathway to to do something that I'm passionate about and that I love. But at the same time, it's like, is this hurting my family because I'm accumulating debt in the process? So while all of this is going on, I'm working at this warehouse and I work with I'm working with a a former Marine, a uh, retired Marine of 21 years. A guy that I respected highly. And, you know, me and him were like best buds at work. We were always clowning talking about people in a in a good way not a negative way but you know just having a good time going out to lunch every day and he intrigued me so much because he would always tell me his military his military stories and you know how he traveled the world and all these different countries and meeting all these different people and so many adventurous stories and me being an adventurous person myself I really gravitated to to him and his stories and every day I was, you know, asking for more. So, Mr. Mike, because we had so many conversations, 
because we had so many conversations, me and the former Marine, he knew about my situation with the college debt. So he pitched the idea to me one day. He was like, hey, man, why don't you join up for four years and get your college paid for? Why don't you join up for four years and get your college paid for? And I hit him like, join up for what? (laughs) And that's when he said, the military. And I was like, man, I am the least military person on earth. The least militant person on earth or whatever. That's that, nah, man. That ain't that ain't me. That ain't what, what I'm trying to do. And you know, he kept talking to me and pitching ideas or whatever. And he was saying, man, I really think it would be beneficial to you and your family. It was like, think about it like this: you can get your your college paid for. You won't have that debt. They may take away some of your wife's debt. You can go get training in a in a in a field. That pays good money once you get out. He was like, only do four years. You can go and get training in a in a in a field that pays well once you get out. You get your college paid for. And you can also you can always come back to to Caterpillar, come back to the warehouse once you get your degree, if you want to, and come back here with an even better job. And I was like, wow, it really made so much sense to do it. Like it, I didn't think at that time that me making that decision to join the military would hurt me in any kind of way. It it only seemed to have benefits. And, you know, he began to explain, he, he began to further explain how, you know, in that four year period, I'm getting a break from this warehouse. I would get to travel. Me and my family get to travel. They take care of everything. He was telling me how, you know, whenever him and his family moved, they came and pack up. They came and packed up everything in the house and shipped it. And they paid you for shipping the stuff. And he was he was explaining to me all these great benefits that the military offer. And I, I, you know, I was taking it all in, but I still hit him back. I was like, man. But I have to join the military to get this. I'm not trying to join the military. And he was like, look, man, based off your personality and how you view things and, you know, being older with a family. I think that the Air Force would be best suited for you because the Air Force are basically civilians. That's the closest thing, the closest military branch you're going to get to civilians. The Air Force, they're so smart. You know, they have the best housing. They have the best of everything. They take good care of their people. Air Force, Air Force, Air Force. So I was like, hmm, my wheels got to spinning. I was like, I never thought about no Air Force. Uh, None of them. So I was like, huh, let me look into this Air Force thing. So because I respected Mr. Mike, you know, I took him at his word and I started confiding with other people that I knew served in the military. But I never really asked them questions before. So I, I went to them and asked them questions like, hey, man, I'm hearing this and that about the Air Force. What can you tell me about it? And they all echoed the sentiments of the the Marine that I work with. So at this point, I'm thinking, OK, must be some truth to this. So I go to Google University, YouTube University, <laughs> and I start looking up 
videos about the military and the Air Force and basic training and all this stuff. And I couldn't really find much bad about it at all. So I began to adopt the thought process of four years out of my life. This cannot be that bad. I'm learning a trade that's marketable. I'm getting my college paid for free of charge, which is reducing our debt. So when I get out, I won't have additional debt to what my wife already has accumulated. And I can come back to cat if I to the warehouse if I want to and get a good job, get a better job there. Oh, and not to mention that with me finishing school is another avenue because I now am able to pursue a career in what I'm passionate about. Also, if I liked it, if I actually ended up liking the military, I could stay in, which was the last option on the list. (laughs) I could stay in and make a career out of it and retire in 20 years. And, and, you know, maybe become an officer in that in that time period, you know, with my degree or whatever. So me joining for me at that time seemed as, like a power move, like it was setting up so many different things, so many different avenues, so many backup plans, so many diff- different plan B, C's and D's where it was just so safe and so secure and everything will be taken care of. So. You know, I talked with my parents, I talked with spiritual leaders, I talked with so many people, and, you know, it was just like, this would be a good move, a good move for me. So, I went and talked to a recruiter, and one thing, I I can say this looking looking back at it now, one thing that intrigued me is I'm the type of person, like, if you're knocking down my door trying to get me to buy something I probably won't buy it because I think that it's for some reason I just think that that product isn't that good if you have to knock down my door in order for me to get to buy it I'm a little naive in the sense that I think that great products sell themselves great opportunities sell themselves so one thing that intrigued me about the Air Force was when you put it out there that you want to join the military the Marines, the Army, and whoever else are at your front door every day. You can't shake recruiters off, blah, blah, blah. But the Air Force, they're way more laid back. It's kind of like they're almost avoiding you. They're kind of like they don't need you or whatever. So that intrigued me or whatever. And I talked with the recruiter, and he wasn't really wasn't really knocking down my door trying to get me to join he was just putting it out there like hey this is the air force you need us more than we need you so you know i was intrigued by that and with all the other previous information that i gave you i decided to to join the air force and i left for basic training in september 2014 and i left with the thoughts of all of these great opportunities, all of these doors that I was opening up, opening up for me and my family. Just how after these four years, the world was going to be so much better. And I remember 
getting to basic training September 9th, 2014. And that's when this, that's when the ball started, the snowball started rolling of conscientious objective. My first night. You know, the plane ride there to, to San Antonio. Well, hold up. Where did we leave from? We left from Raleigh to Atlanta, from Atlanta to San Antonio. You know, met some cool people. That was that was cool. You get there. You get to the airport. You, get, you go from the airport to Lackland Air Force Base. That was cool, talking on the bus, like, hey, man, we're about to go to basic training, blah, 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 you know. Everything, even when you when you first get there and, you know, you get off the bus, you're standing in line, you're not knowing what to expect. You're getting issued stuff, blah, blah, blah. Still wasn't that bad. I'm like, okay, man, I don't care, you know. What's going on, man? I'm here for my family. I'm here to make this happen. So, you know, I remember doing a lot of in-processing, whatever, all this stuff. And finally, you know, getting to our to our dorms, meeting your instructor, and then going to sleep. Or did we meet him after we woke up? I can't remember. Yeah, no, we met him. Yeah, because just when you go out there under the under the overhang thing and you know pick them up put them down with your bags and all that kind of crap and you go upstairs to your dorm you know and get unpacked and go to bed and all that stuff when i i remember falling asleep when i woke up that first night and i looked side to side and i looked around me and i noticed that my son wasn't there and my wife wasn't there. It was it was one of the most intriguing experiences that I've had in my at that time 26 years of life. It was it was mind-boggling to me. It was I really can't describe how it felt waking up and my son and my wife not being there. It really had a deep impact on me. And I began to ask myself, why am I here? Why am I not with my wife and my son? And the ball started rolling of what is the purpose of the military? I, I looked around at all the other the, the guys in my flight. I was the oldest guy in my flight at 26 there was there were older kids i mean there were younger kids in their 18 19 20 and i was just looking at them you know after i got myself together and woke up and realized i wasn't with my family or whatever i was like wow look at all these babies because i'm older 26 and i have a child you know i view i view others as as children as well because i'm a parent i'm like look at all these other babies that aren't with their with their families why are we here? Why are we doing this? Okay, it is is it is it because we're we're doing something so noble, something so honest, something so courageous? Is this worth not being with our families? 
So every day I'm thinking about my wife and my son. I'm not there to protect them. I'm not there to see how they're doing. I don't know what's going on. I have no form of communication. And I'm just taking all this in. I'm like, I want to know the purpose of what I'm doing. Is this worth all of these people being away from their families, being away from their homes, going through this stress? What What is it? So... If you for those that don't know, basic training is a bunch of a bunch of classes where you learn about the military, you learn about, you know, uh, common courtesies in the military, the structure, the discipline, the UCMJ, all this good stuff. But you also learn about, you know, weapons training, law of armed conflict, Geneva Convention, rules of engagement, all this kind of stuff. And. I was taking all of this in because it, you know, the normal kid going through basic training is, you know, probably, you know, sleep during classes or if they're awoke, they're still like mentally asleep, just trying to make it through the day, trying to get to, to the chow hall, just trying to get through. But, you know, me going in older, me having this experience of waking up and my my family not being there, I wanted to know why I was there what was i doing like how is this is this worth it not only to my family but to the world right so going through these classes and i'm learning things that don't really sit well with me you know i don't want to go too in depth but i'll just say that you know you learn about things like who manufactures the weapons and the artillery and all this kind of stuff and how so much profit is made when we go to war, how these organizations profit off of war, but the general public doesn't. You learn you, you learn about chemical weapons. You you learn how you're not supposed to bomb a a a school or a hospital or whatever else but it's all about proportion if if there's a let's just say five terrorists that are number 1 on the terrorist watch list or whatever are in that school that could potentially kill hundreds of thousands of people then I, then at that point it could be justified to take out, you know, that school in order to kill those five terrorists. You know, you're jeopardizing 500 kids in the school compared to 100,000 people that these terrorists could potentially kill. You learn how there's all these different weapons out there, these bombs and the radiation and chemical and how it's just so inhumane and how it could just destroy people from the inside out and how it can have effect on generations and it's just a whole lot that you learn in basic training and you're just and me i'm just like this doesn't this doesn't sit doesn't sit well with me at all but it wasn't at that point it wasn't enough for me to to want to get out it wasn't enough for me to seek discharge or say all right okay Sorry, wrong door. 
wasn't meant to be here. Let me let me walk out. Let me get out of here or whatever, you know. So I kept pushing through, and and then I just I wanted to make it home to my family. I didn't want to come back home as a as a failure. I didn't want to to disappoint those that love me that show so much support so much support for me throughout this process of me joining the military of me joining the air force and me going off i didn't want to look my son in the eyes and say i failed although at that point it wasn't even that what all of what i just said about me you know seeking discharge or whatever wasn't really a thing yet but when it became a thing I pushed that aside because, you know, all of all of what I just said, I didn't want to disappoint people. I didn't want to disappoint my son, my wife, all these people that make sacrifices, that made sacrifices in order for me to make this sacrifice of joining the military. So, you know, that's when the ball, the snowball started rolling. Let's see. After basic training, graduate, you know, see my family, had one of the happiest moments of my life get to tech school tech school wasn't that bad although i still felt uncomfortable and i was always talking about getting out and i didn't know why i was getting paid to learn having fun playing football basketball they had a port side like a little like a little bar thing on base that you go to at the class or on the weekends or whatever i had my car there it it was it was pretty fun. I met some cool people at tech school, uh, lifelong friends at tech school. Like it wasn't really much to complain about during tech school, but I still felt out of place and I felt uncomfortable and I always talked about getting out and I didn't really know why. I just knew that I I felt that this wasn't for me and I felt, you know, highly uncomfortable. So, and I'm going to tech school in Florida on the beach. Like, you can't beat that. So, I get my 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 duty assignment, and it's also in Florida, about two, two or three hours up, up the road. You know, beautiful beaches, beautiful scenery, beautiful everything. The base, you go on base, you see palm trees. You know, you get there, you realize that the actual military is more laid back. There's cool people. <laughs> Everybody isn't yelling at you. I'm like, wow, like this is this this is pretty cool. But at the same time, I was still still miserable. I I was dealing with this internal guilt, this internal conflict. And I was always still talking about getting out. Day one, hi, hey, how you doing? My name is Aaron Sutton. I'm getting out. <laughs> four years nothing more nothing less so you know uh, I, I i dealt with that and i would say i would say you know when you get to your first base you start you get your cdc's and you start your upgrade training and in the military in the military i can't speak to every branch in the air force they really hop on you knowing your job doing your job correctly you're learning your job inside and out and i'm the type of person where i'm older and i'm also a thinker so it's like where you tell a 18 year old i'm not saying i'm not saying every 18 year old but for the majority i'm not even gonna say the majority but you can tell an 18 year old hey do this do it now do it right and it's like okay yes sir no sir 
Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. But for me, me being older, me being a thinker, me being a perceiving person. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing it this way? Why is this so important that I do this this way? What does this have an impact on? So because of that, that thought process and because them constantly harping on you, you have to get this done. You have to learn this. You have to know this inside and out. I'm thinking like, why? And you know what I came to, to, to find out what I came to discover is, you know, in the air force, I'm only speaking on the air force, you know, whatever job you do, it facilitates the jet, the aircraft getting in the air. And, you know, why does that jet, why is it so important that that jet or that aircraft gets in the air? And it's to carry out a mission. And that mission is ultimately taking lives. So, you know, I'm putting all of this together. I mean, you know, some people may look at it, you know, that jet, the ultimate mission is you know, protecting people or, or whatever else. But like I said, you know, with my prior, my prior experience of basic training and learning, you know, that, you know, it's kind of disproportionate sometimes what goes on and all these profits are being made and who are we really, really fighting against and all this kind of stuff. So to me, you know, I'm thinking like, wow, my job is helping facilitate these you know, killings, murders. That's the mission is ultimately taking lives, no matter how you slice it. So, you know, the snowball is rolling down hills, picking up, picking up weight, picking up size. And I never, I never forget. I can't remember exactly who it was, but I remember going out on on the flight line my first time you know when you're doing your upgrade training they send you out on jobs with people and you know so you can experience firsthand doing the job sometimes they let you do it and they sign off on it you know they double check behind you or whatever and or sometimes you just watch and you know get that experience and they ask you questions or whatever and i remember going out on the flight line and it was on a a job on the main weapons bay door and this is the door that that opens up and allows, you know, the the bombs and missiles or whatever else to detach and deploy. And I didn't tell that person at the time, but I remember just sitting there under the jet and I was just like I was like, "Wow." It, all these different kind of thoughts started coming, you know, to my mind. Like, if I do my job correctly, then I'm helping facilitate death. Our job was to, uh, that, uh, I think there was like a crack or something on the main weapon bay door to verify if it was a crack, if it was okay, if it wasn't okay, or whatever, blah, 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 to inspect it, the integrity of it or whatever. And I just remember thinking, like, one, wow, okay, th- there's really bombs in this world. And this is where they come out of. 
I remember thinking that. I remember thinking, you know, wow, this jet causes destruction. And then I remember thinking, like I said, if I stay in and do my job correctly, then I'm helping facilitate death. You know, most people in my career field don't think about it that way. They think, well, you know, it's just a crack, whatever, blah, blah, blah do my job, not go back home. Um, but like I said, I'm a perceiving person. I'm a think- thinking person. I'm a conscious person. So I'm thinking that if I do my job correctly, I'm helping facilitate death. So, you know, me going out on that job really had a, a big impact on me. Um, I'm picking up steam in my in my in my thoughts and my feelings and how I'm doing. So, you know, job the job begin, begins to become more stressful. And like I said, me having worked almost 10 years prior to joining, I've had some really crappy jobs. And I would say compared to those jobs, the military wasn't that bad. And, you know, I really didn't like so much of the structure and how everything is exaggerated in the military like you know you show up to work late at your civilian jobs like okay whatever you know you're just not you're not getting paid for those five minutes whatever you show up five minutes late in the military it's like the world just came to an end which i've never been late but i'm just saying it's just to go to show you how exaggerated things are in the military i really didn't like that you know i'm my own person i don't like being told you know what to do, what to wear, how to wear it, when to wear it, where to go, you know, that's not really my thing. So that was, I, I really didn't like that. I really didn't like the fact of, you know, me being older, working under people that were younger than me that, you know, bossing me around or whatever. And no one was like really bossing me around, but whatever i just didn't like it but it wasn't extreme to the point of i wanted to get out because of it you know it was it was what i was going through internally magnified everything else that was going on the smallest things are magnified because of you know what i was dealing with internally and i i tried to you know remain positive I tried to tell myself, you know, all the great opportunities that I had ahead, you know, if I just, you know, deal with this and put it aside. But it became harder and harder to do. And I internalized so many, so many of my true feelings, my my true thoughts, my, I, I felt like I pushed myself aside for the greater of something that I I didn't even believe in. So what ended up happening while doing that was stress began to mount. My alcohol consumption went up. Everything began, you know, taking its toll. I began, I can't remember exactly when I began having these dreams. I I think it was after, you know, I went out on that, on that uh, inspection on the main weapons bay door. But I would have really, really bad dreams where I wake up in cold sweats and reaching for my wife. I'm, I'm, I'm screaming and she's like, what's going on? Like I had another bad dream. The bed is soaked with sweat. 
you know, I would have dreams where I was in deployed locations and, you know, doing things and having to use my weapon or whatever else. It was it was really bad, really vivid dreams that I get into more at a later time. But I, I started dealing with this. I wasn't getting any sleep because one, I was scared if I went to sleep I would have these dreams. Two, the stress just kept me up at night. It was it was just so much. So, you know, I'm dealing with that. Time goes on or whatever. I'm trying to deal with it, I'm trying to make my way through things. I remember being tasked to do, oh, before I go there, I kept telling myself that I'm not directly out on the front lines killing people, so maybe it's acceptable to do what I'm doing. I kept telling myself that, but, you know, it it didn't work because, you know, they preach they preach to you day in and day out of how important your job is to the mission and why you need to do your job correctly. And we already discussed what that mission is. So it's, it's, it's really a conflict going back and forth with myself and what the, the information that they're telling me or whatever. So I'm getting to the point where I feel like, I feel like I'm, I'm not a benefit to the Air Force. In in meetings, I'm just like staring off. I don't care what anyone is talking about. I don't want to do my job correctly. I don't want to be a good airman. I don't want to. I don't want to be a part of this. But at the same time. I don't want to let people down. I don't want to let, you know, all the people that. I may have inspired by going by joining and I may have, may have inspired by joining at a late age. I didn't want to let my family down. I didn't want to let my son down. I didn't want to let the Marine down. You know, what was I going to do? Was I going to have to go back to the warehouse job? If I, if I got out, you know, all of this doubt that was building up in me, if I decided to, to seek discharge or, you know, whatever else. You know, everyone, when you're in the military, you learn that. Well, well, before I say that, it was hard for me to really talk about this to people because I'm in the military with other military members. So obviously they don't feel the same way that I feel. <laughs> so it's hard to, you know, come out and talk to this with someone when they're you're pretty sure you're just like going to be hey man, Shut up and get these benefits. And. You know, so that it, I just had to harbor a lot of a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings, a lot of thoughts because I didn't know who to talk to. And it, and it weighed on me very heavy. During this time, I'm dealing with this. This is going on. I'm, I'm really not there. Like I'm going to work every day. My body's there, but I'm not there. Mentally, I'm, I'm checked out. I got tasked with security forces augmentee. For those that don't know what that is, pretty much you help security forces. They pull you from your job whenever they need you to help security forces. Now, 
before joining, I was under the mindset of civilian, civilian, civilian. The Air Force, you do your job, nothing else. And now I'm really beginning to realize that you join the military and they can use you however need be. So now I have a weapon in my hand. And I'm guarding a gate doing security forces augmentee. Like I said, to other people, they may look at that as, okay, you're getting out of work. You're sitting at a gate all day. You get to use the M16. What are you complaining about? To me, it was symbolic of, like I said, the fact that they could use me however they want to. And if they told me, hey, you're going overseas and you're going to be guarding this gate overseas. That's just what I would have to do. I have to follow orders. That's the military. And so now I'm overseas guarding this gate or guarding this whatever. And whoever rolls up and now I have to use my weapon and take a life for someone I don't even know. I don't even know what their motive is, you know, whatever. Over something that is way beyond my pay grade or my knowing or, or, or whatever else. I don't know. You know, this man could be, you know, rolling up on the base or and this. This could even be me at my at my base when I'm out there guarding the gate. Somebody's rolling up on his base because, well, I'll just use the overseas analogy. Somebody's rolling up on his base because they're tired of us occupying their land. They're tired of us taking their resources. They're tired of us exploiting them. They want freedom just like we do. And they're defending their country like we say we are. And now I'm in a position where my life is taken over that or I have to take his life. Which would only lead to more hatred in the same cycle. So, you know, that security forces augmentee thing was was really a big eye opener. It may have been, no, it wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back, but it was very significant. So while all of this is going on, I would say that on the news every week, there was a, a different killing as far as, you know, police killing an unarmed black male. Every week, every other day, this was going on. This had a profound impact on me. Impact on me because I'm an African-American male. I'm a black male. I follow laws. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I pay my taxes. But, you know, what you're seeing on the news, in some cases, are people doing the same thing. Black males doing the same thing that are being killed by those who are supposed to protect us. This had a a very, very, very big impact on me because I'm looking at this. I'm, I'm going to tie this together. And you're like, okay, what does this have to do with conscious whatever? I'm going to tie it together. I'm looking at this and I'm thinking I don't feel safe in my own country. 
in a country that is in every other country across the world. So-called fighting for freedom and fighting for whatever they tell us. I'm right here and I don't feel safe. Not only do I not feel safe. Because, you know, as a black male, my life could be taken by another black male. Which is probably more likely to happen. I've learned how to maneuver around it. I learned how to how to deal with that. That's that's scary as well. Having my life, you know, taken by another black male. And I feel like that's institutionalized. The reason why that occurs so rapidly or whatever. But that's a different discussion for a different day. But I'm afraid. I'm afraid of my life from another black male. And now. I'm afraid. From those who are supposed to protect me. It it was it was mind boggling to me as let's just say as a law abiding as a law abiding citizen as a God fearing male a black male in America, I have to fear someone that looks like me killing me. I have to fear someone who doesn't look like me killing me. I have to fear speaking out against both. We always get up in arms whenever an officer does it. When that happens so so rarely, I'm an Uncle Tom. If I say. This isn't right. These cops are killing unarmed black men. Even if he was in the wrong, if he stole a, a pop tart out of out of the out of the grocery store or whatever, doesn't mean he needs to lose his life. No one should die over a traffic stop. If I say things like that, I'm a thug or I'm misguided, misinformed. I don't know the stats. It's scary. I have a son that's a black male. That is a good son, smart kid. But because he's in this skin that he can't change when he walks out that door every day, he's labeled a certain way. He's a threat in his own country, in his own country that I put on a uniform and I serve and so-called protect. The same country that isn't serving and protecting people that look like me. I'm supposed to go and die for a country that wants me dead. And then knowing that that isn't necessarily necessarily the case. The fact that these babies, black, white, brown or whatever else. I'm going to say in my opinion, but I I really, from what I've looked up and what I've researched, I don't think that it's what I found that these wars aren't justified. And and even if it was justifiable, let's just say even if these wars were justifiable, you mean to tell me that man can can travel to the moon, can build these great weapons that could destroy the the earth and a click of a button can make planes that go three times the, the the speed of sound if i didn't say that correctly just bear with me build make build buildings that could touch the heavens 
computers that think better than we do, smartphones that you can connect with someone around the world, social media, all these great things that man can invent. But you mean to tell me man can't make peace with his neighbor? You mean to tell me that there's no, we've been in Iraq for 15 years now, maybe before that. I'm not a history buff. Don't correct me on it. But I'll just say um, Iraq, Afghanistan, whatever, 15 years. No one can come up with a solution. I felt like I was a part of the problem and not the solution. Because if I'm if I'm working on this jet, let's just say let's just say China, for instance. I don't want to throw any real examples out there or whatever. Let's just say China. And one of the uh, a US military jet goes and drops a bomb and kills a hundred thousand Chinese people. Let's just say out of those one hundred thousand people 80,000 of them were bad and 20,000 of them were against those 80,000 people that they killed that were bad no 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 let me rephrase that let me rephrase that let's just say I'm working on an aircraft that goes to China and kills 100,000 people of those 100,000 people 40,000 of them were bad guys with evil intentions We got them off the face of the earth. 60,000 of those people were people that had completely different ideologies and thought processes of those 40,000 people that were killed. Those 60,000 people that died have millions of loved ones that loved them and that loved Americans and that loved all people. And now they are upset. They're distraught. They're up in arms. They're in rage because they just thought lost their loved ones. Wouldn't you be? Weren't you when the attacks happened on 9-11? Which I'll save the 9-11 discussion for a different time as well. How do you think those people feel? What do you think they want to do? So they come to America, which... Uh, I've only known about one attack on American soil since I've been living. Please, I want you to correct me on that one. Email me, hit me up, let me know. I can only think of one attack, 9-11, on American soil. The other ones were by other Americans, but that's neither here nor there. So, uh, you know, they come over here and they attack and they wipe out 1,500 people. Big bad America's going to go back over there and they're going to wipe out a million. And this cycle just continues. And then you get other countries involved and these allies involved. And this, this cycle just keeps going and it, and it continues. And the only thing gained from it is certain people making money and more war. The cycle is just going to continue forever. So I felt like I'm a part of the problem and not a part of the solution. And no matter what job I had in the military. No matter what job I had in the military. If they told me my job was to scoop ice cream and put it on a cone every day for the, the other troops that come through. I felt like I was representing everything that I hate that I hated. 
when I'm when I was watching the news with these police shootings happen, I would see the you know people riding out in the streets. I see the news. People go back and forth about who was right, who was wrong. Blah blah blah. I saw so much division. I saw so much division amongst people, amongst the the anchors, amongst government officials, amongst coworkers. Everybody's divided. All this separation. The country's divided. I saw violence. I saw retaliation. I saw innocent people being attacked. I saw innocent cops who who had families and who were just doing their job, and cops that were were good cops being killed. I saw all this hatred, all this violence, all of this animosity, all of this anguish in the world. And I stopped back and said, I want to do something to change this. I want to be, I want to bring people together. I forgot, I forgot my whole moral makeup, my whole spiritual makeup. I'm a believer in God. I'm a follower of Christ, you know, and I began to think, you know, this is where the spiritual aspect came into it, where I know people, even my own family members have quoted scripture where God was, you know, for war. And, I, you know, I found numerous scriptures where, where, where it said otherwise. But at the end of the day, you know, it's more of a moral, con- it's more of a moral and conscious decision than a spiritual decision. But when I look at it spiritually, I could not see Jesus serving in the military. I couldn't see Buddha serving in the military. I could not, under any circumstance, see Jesus Christ grabbing a M16. I could see him, to use some urban terminology, I could see him squashing these beefs. I could see him healing people in other countries. I could see him calling out our government and, and and their involvement overseas and what they're doing in their own country and how you know stuff in America we turn a blind eye to and I, I just couldn't see I couldn't see Christ partaking in this I couldn't see Christ representing it and I began to feel that me like I said, wearing that uniform represented everything that that I was against. So I said all that to say, although I had all these these strong feelings, all of this all this built up anger, it, the, at this point, all those benefits that the military could offer me wasn't worth what I was going through internally. I wasn't free. I hear I was fighting for someone else's freedom, and I wasn't free myself. I was a prisoner myself. I wasn't any good to my family. I wasn't any good to the military. I wasn't good to anybody. So the best thing, the best course of action was for me was to not represent this, was to go fight for true freedom, which I believe is connecting this divide amongst races in our country, which is setting people free to think that they have to do things that because they have this doubt that they can provide for themselves and that they can provide for their families or whatever, that they have to go serve for something that they're against morally, consciously and spiritually. 
I think that that's true freedom. Not what I was partaking in. So even though I had these feelings, I still had doubt. I had doubt that, like I said earlier, because I'm talking to these different people, that only thing they could think about was the benefits. The, the fact that you get a guaranteed check on the 1st and the 15th. I finally began sharing my my beliefs with people, and it was, yeah, man, you know, I agree with you. I was astonished to find the fact, to find out that people actually agree with me. I found so many people that agree with me. Actually, I, I'm i trying, well, I know there's some that disagree with me or whatever, but they haven't really voiced it. But I would say more than not, more people agree with how I feel about the military or military participation. But their stance was, I have to take care of my family. This has provided a good life for me. How else am I going to survive? And it was through talking through these people and and talking to these these children and I and, and I say children, like I said, because I'm looking at it through a parent a parental lens and you know me being older. And I was just thinking like, wow, I have to change this. I want to be on the other side. I want to help people see that. That that doubt that you have of, of your abilities, of your God-given talents, your passions, that you can pursue that. You don't have to go and do something that's against everything that you believe in for a few dollars. I, I always heard the, told, the, the, the saying told when I was growing up of selling your soul to the devil. And I don't think that there's actually... Uh, a devil that comes out and sits at a table and there's a contract that y'all sign. And he says, okay, you know, you do X, Y, and Z and I give you this, this, that. But I do think that we do that, that we sell our souls to the devil figuratively all the time. And I think that I did that per se by joining the military. I look back at my life when I was working at that warehouse and although that warehouse wasn't for me either. I look at my life and I see how much happier I was. The freedom that I experienced. The the relationship with my wife and my family before joining the military. And if I had to choose between the two, I would take that one 50 times out of 10. Yeah, I know you're like, how did he get 50 out of 10? It doesn't work <laughs> for you, for you people that are really, you know, detailed and precise and love correction on everything I say 10 times out of 10. I would take that civilian lifestyle over this. I, they could offer me. A hundred million dollars to stay in the military, I wouldn't take. it. It's not what I believe in, it's not what I stand for, and. I just want to help others. I know everyone doesn't feel this way. That's fine. I know some people that, you know, their moral and their consciousness or whatever isn't as strong. I won't even say isn't as strong. It just doesn't propel them the same way that mine does. And, you know, the fact that they can get a steady paycheck, the fact that they can get this health insurance, the fact that they can travel or whatever else is more important to them. That's fine. I'm not talking to you. 
But if you're out there and you don't even have to be in the military, that's why I'm going on this route that I'm going. If you're working at that warehouse like I was. If you're serving in the military. If you're if you're hell, you can be on a basketball court, whatever you're doing, if it's not what you were put here to do, if it's not what you're passionate about, if it's not what you were designed to do. If it goes against everything you believe in, you do not have to do that. And I'm here to help shed light on that. And that's what I discovered through this process of this long journey that I've taken throughout my life of of me being a floater and me going throughout these different things and me meeting these different people. I met so many people that have so many talents that aren't doing what they are they're not walking in their purpose they're not doing what they were put here to do and i have this burning desire in me to tap those people on the shoulder and 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 show them that they can do what it is they were designed to do i think that by doing that makes the world a better place if there's a freaking lawyer out there right now bagging groceries because he's scared to go take the bar exam or he's scared to go to school for six or eight years however long it is and he really cares about helping people imagine if that guy can get tapped on the shoulder and stop bagging groceries and go take the bar exam or vice versa there could be a lawyer out there that's that's working for a firm or whatever and he's getting the biggest scumbags off of crimes that they committed. They're walking free left and right because he's so good at, you know, wiggling his way around the legal system and taking this money and getting these people off that deserve to be behind bars or whatever. And he feels so bad about it and it goes against everything he wants to do. He doesn't want to be a lawyer. He'd rather live a regular life bagging groceries. I think that that person deserves to be tapped on the shoulder as well. I just think that we're all different. We all have unique talents, unique abilities. And what prevents us from exploring these and living out these is doubt. We all doubt ourselves. When I was going through this process, when I wanted to come out and talk about it, I doubted that people would agree with me. I I, I felt that I would be shunned. I would be looked down upon. The world would hate me. For my stance. I doubted that. I'll be able to take care of myself. And my family. I started to adapt other. People's ideology that the military. Was the only way that you could make a living. I had so much doubt. But I got to a point that. My goal. My mission. My purpose. Was bigger. Than my fears and my doubt. And I destroyed it and I came through with this process and I've started this process. I'm still going through it now. It hasn't been the easiest thing, but I feel I feel amazed at the at the thought of what I'm standing for. It may it may only be one person. Throughout this whole process that says that 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 hears about my story, reads about my story or whatever else and says, you know. I'm doing X, Y, and Z. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to stand for what I believe in. I'm I'm fine with that.
if it's only one person, God knows I hope that it's more. I believe that it will be more. But if it only reaches one person, I feel like I've done my job. That that one person that I reach may be effective at reaching others than I am. And he may reach 30 people. And in those in the mix of those 30 people, he may reach someone that is so great that they inspire a thousand people. You know, and that chain and that chain trickles and it continues. And I'd rather be a part of that chain than the trickling chain that I'm currently a part of. That's why I'm going down this route. I want to do public speaking. I want to write books. This podcast. This, I have so many different things and I'm so excited that that I'm doing this. That I'm going this route. The route that I know that I'm supposed to be on. The route that I should have been on. But I kept trying to, you know, follow someone else's success, follow someone else's dreams. Because that's safer than following and walking in my own purpose. I'm done with that. I'm destroying doubt. And I want you to do it too. I'm not the only person with self-doubt. I'm not the only person that's that that that's doing something or did something that I disagree with in every way possible. But because it's safe and it's more secure. I continue to do it while killing myself internally, daily. So, like I said, you know, going back to it, I had this doubt. And I, I finally spoke with someone. And when I spoke to this person, his his response was different than, than a lot of other people that I talked to. And his response was, I think you should get out. You know, this guy was older than me. Uh, I won't say twice my age. No, no, he was twice my age. But he was older than me. And he was like, he, he said something really powerful to me. And it really shook me up. He said, you know, pretty much, I admire your your courage. He's talking to me at this point. I admire your courage. You inspire me. Your courage. Your ability to stand. Your ability to pursue different avenues. Your ability to not accept the status quo or go with the flow. I admire that about you. Don't be me. I'm one of those people that that you have helped through your through your standing up for different things, through your pursuit of happiness, through your pursuit of greatness. You've inspired me and you continue to inspire me. Don't be me. Let me look up to you. While you do what you do. Get out of the military. You feel this way for a reason. And I was just like wow. It it, it blew my mind. Because. What he was saying. I was already feeling. I already knew. He just confirmed what I already felt. I had the conversation with him. And I was still down. I, I knew it was right. I knew how I felt was right. I knew what he said was right. But it's like. It's a scary world out there. I, I went through all. I went through basic training. I went through tech school. I left North Carolina. I got people back home looking up to me. My family. I got to tell them I feel this way. Oh my! How am I going? What am I going to do next? Whatever else. But I also felt this. This is what was stronger than those feelings. I felt this burning desire for people like him and others that I had talked to. That that felt the same way. And I remember 
saying to myself when I talk to people and they're like, man, I hate this. I want to do this. I feel like I can do this, blah, blah, blah. And I saying to myself, well, why don't you do it? Why don't you do it? And then, you know, one day while I'm thinking about this side of me to saying that I'm thinking about what he told me, I'm thinking about, you know, all of my doubt in this powerful voice. You know, I know you hear people say that God talks to them or whatever. I wouldn't say that it's a conversation. It's just a knowing that stirs up in you that I feel like God shakes up in you like, look, idiot, <laughs> it, this is it. Right. And so one day I'm saying, like, why won't they just do it And this powerful voice, this powerful knowing, this powerful presence? Answered back and. And this knowing up, this knowing in me. Said. Why don't you show them? I was literally knocked off my off my feet. I started crying. I I couldn't I couldn't hold back how I felt when I and I had that feeling that knowing of of just wow this this is this is so true. I'm always talking to people, you know, conquer your fears, you know, do this, do that, step out on faith, blah blah blah. And here I am with the mirror in front of me saying, why don't you show them? Stop talking about it. You do it. At that moment, I couldn't fight it anymore. But before I had this revelation, before I had this great knowing, before I had that conversation, I had already filed for. For Palace Chase, which I was just wasting my time. Palace Chase is where after two years you 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 stop doing active duty and you start doing reserve and you extend your time two more years so you get out of active duty and you do reserved reserve or guard for four years which is one week in a month two weeks a year and you know i was trying to go all these different routes thinking that limited time and limited contact with the military would you know lessen the blow of of how i felt and what I was going through. But I was really just wasting my time. So when I had that, that that revelation. You know. I was like it's it. This is it. It's time to, to present this to my. To my chain of command. I had already emailed someone in my chain of command. Saying I need to talk to them. They was like cool. So before they had a chance to come back. And talk to me. About you know. The, the situation what I was going through. And what I wanted. How I wanted to do this conscientious objective thing. The results of my palace chase came back and it said denied. And I remember my shop chief calling me, you know, he he came in one day and he was like, hey, Sutton, uh, what's the status of your, you know, your palace chase thing or whatever. And I remember like having this look on my face like. You just don't know. <laughs> so he saw the look on my face and he called me in the office. He was like, so what's going on, you know? How did everything go? What was the status of your palace chase or whatever? And I remember me saying it got denied. And I remember a look on his face of like, wow, you know, that, you know, that sucks. Because me and him had a conversation before of how I didn't tell him about the conscientious objective thing. But I told him that, you know, the military just wasn't for me. And I think that this would be very beneficial to me and my family if I could do this palace chase thing. So I remember him looking disappointed or whatever and this was this was my time and I came out and I said but that's not what I want to do 
And, and he looked up and it was like, okay, so what is it that you want to do? And that's why I said, I want to file for conscience object. And his face and the other guy's face in the room was like priceless. <laughs> it was like they had an idea of what that was, but they didn't really know. So the other guy looked it up and he was like, wow. And <laughs> that that started the ball. They called the, the, the first sergeant. If you don't know what that is, look it up. It's kind of like the HR rep in the military or whatever. But they called him. And they started the ball rolling on this process. And I can tell you at that moment that I finally came forth with it and I presented that to my shop chief. It was very scary, but after it came out of my mouth, I felt like a million bucks. It was it was so relieving to to finally to finally say it and, and come out with it. And it just felt good. And so the process began. And, you know, I had to go, I had to go meet with a psychiatrist, which I think is crazy. The fact that they kind of try to put you in a light that you're crazy for not wanting to kill people. But another story for a different day. I had to go speak with the chaplain. They took me from my job said I wasn't fit to, you know, work on aircraft or deal with aircraft. Uh, they had me doing, you know, the dirty work, painting walls, trash, and shipping paint, and whatever else they had to find for me because I couldn't do maintenance. But at the same time, I'm getting a check, so they're going to use me. I'm, I'm, I'm walking around. You know, the base, doing all these odd jobs, people asking me, why am I doing this? What did you do wrong? <laughs> you know, what's going on? And, God, it, it became, like, super, super stressful. This whole process has been a roller coaster ride, I promise you. But it's one that I'm willing to take. It's one that I'm willing to ride. And I'm so excited for my life after the military when this process is over, the lives that I plan to impact and I just thank God for for me coming forth with it I, I thank God for dealing with me I, I just thank you know all the people that have been in support of me support of me throughout this process thank my wife she has been so supportive Without her and my son and my daughter, I don't know what I would, where I would be. Uh, my family back home, my wife, my sisters, my pastor back home. It's it's just been a roller coaster. I'm ready for it to be over, but in due time, I know it will happen. It's been going on for a few months now. I don't have a an exact date of discharge. Um. I have to go through this process. I've been working on this application, uh, the, the CO application, conscientious objector application, which is really tough, really long. Putting everything in proper wordage, submitting it back and forth with this agency. It's really been exhausting, but the end goal for me is worth it. And th this next life that I'm going into 
I'm so excited. I, I feel like I'm finally free. It's, it's, I feel like I've been in prison for 26 years, and I and I have a date to get out, which I don't have a date to get out, which I know it'll be less than two years. That's what I have on my contract. So, um, I I just feel like I'm I'm about to walk in my purpose. Well, actually, I've already started the process of walking in my purpose. That's what I'm doing with this podcast, working on a book. I'm putting it out there that I'm doing public speaking. So if you know somebody, tell them to book your boy because <laughs> it's going down. I'm I'm just I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm excited. I want to help the world. I want to make the world a better place for my kids and yours. And I just I, I want to stand for peace. I, I hate violence. And I hate I hate the fact that the system has been put in such a way that that people people don't feel like that they can do what they were put here to do because they have to take care of their family. And I just want to show them that you can take care of your family. You can provide may not be a millionaire. I don't know. My goal isn't to be the richest man on earth. But I, my goal is to impact the world. I don't know what Martin Luther King's net worth was. I don't know what Gandhi's net worth was. I don't know what Mandela's net worth was. But I know that I'm still talking about them today. I know that they had an impact on this world and their ideologies and their thought process and their their what they stood for is still being celebrated today that their family and our families are wreaking the benefits of their courageousness and that's what I pursue in life and I feel like when you go those routes the money and whatever else will take care of itself not really that simple but ride with me so so yeah that that's that's what I'm going through. Like I said before, it's a tough process, but I'm going through it. I'm ready to see see it at its end, and and I've already talked to people that that share the same ideas or whatever. And I'm just honored to be used. I'm humbled. This has been a very humbling process, and I just want to do. I, I just want to show them, like I was told. I just want to show people that you can do it. You can destroy doubt and you can be truly free. Thank you. Catch you on the next episode.